All right, make your way back to your seats, take your Bibles, turn to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. Hope you've had a great couple of weeks. I miss being with you last week. My family was down in Florida for the wedding of my niece, which was great. Thank you for your prayers. Uh, thank you to all who filled in, especially um, Scott's not here, but he did a great job last week. Uh, listened to the sermon. It was an awesome, awesome sermon. Can't wait to hear what, what Scott's going to be like uh, as God gives him grace and develops him in the days, days ahead. It's, it's great to see the young men of our church grow up and to give their hearts and lives to the Lord and be used in whatever field of ministry it is, whether it's um, athletic or in the church or in the business world. Um, we don't believe there's a dichotomy. We believe that every breath we breathe is for the Lord. Uh, ministry is what we do every moment of every day, no matter where we go. Uh, and so in the days ahead, I look forward to what God is going to do with our young adults. You can say amen to that. I mean, it really is good. Um, life has changed dramatically in many ways over the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, it used to be when you were traveling, and some of you can cast your eyes backwards to the days of yore when uh, you were like me, and when you were traveling cross-country, you actually had to use a thing called a map that folded out uh, to find your directions across country. One of my favorite things was this thing AAA had called a triptych. Uh, those triptychs, you know, they were like this, and they had the thing, and you would flip over. They'd do every segment of your journey. And I'm such a geek. I, I'll just tell you, I, love, I would sit there with this thing and just flip it over. I'd take the big map, and I would compare what they said we should do with what I thought we should do. And I would tell my parents, hey, you know, really, I don't think AAA's got it right. I think we should go this way. And if we'll go this way, we'll be there faster. Uh, so in, the, in those days, uh, traveling was... It was really exciting in some ways. It was, you never knew where you were going to go or how you were going to get there. Or Today, last week, we had to rent a car on our vacation because we had my whole family in one vehicle, which, uh, including my new daughter-in-law. And so she had her first family, Brookings family vacation. Notice she's not here this morning. <laughs> um, so <laughs> she endured over Mississippi, but she made it through uh, her first time with the in-laws for an entire week. And that's a lot of Brookings for a, for a week, all in the same car. And I rented this car from Hertz, and uh, it's got a GPS in it uh, that tells you everything that Hertz believes you should do. And we took our own GPS, and then every phone, you know, we have like 100 iPhones in our car, and so every iPhone has its own map. I mean, it is dadgum near impossible to get lost these days. But somehow we can still manage, can't we? <laughs> Somehow we can still weave our way around and life gets derailed. I, we were at Universal Studios for one day. Um, <laughs> it was a long day. 14 hours at any theme park is a long day, is it not? So, but, you know, it costs so much stinking money to go to these theme parks. You got, I had to sell one child while I was there just to get out of the park. <laughs> So it's so much money to get into the park, you want to get your money's worth. But they've got an app for Universal now, which uh, actually shows you where you are in the park. 
and it shows you how to get from ride to ride, and it'll show you the waiting times that are currently at every single ride. So you can choose before you want to go to a ride. I mean, really, there's some element of surprise that's missing from this whole thing. And yet, we still get derailed. It's no fun when our lives get derailed. When we lose a job, we have an illness, when the events of life disorient us. When this happens, where do we go to get our bearings? Now, as I said, our bearings, it's easy for technology to tell us where we are at every moment so we can just glance at a phone or a GPS or whatever other device we have to tell us exactly where we are. But in life, when things go haywire, where do we go to find our bearings and to see where we should be headed? As followers of Jesus Christ and those who worship God, I am firmly convinced that there is only one place to go, and that is the Word of God and the presence of God. The Word of God and the presence of God, the Spirit of God, Spirit and in truth. And we are firmly established as a church who will not compromise on either of those elements. It's not a 50-50 option, 50% of the truth of God, 50% of the Spirit of God. It is 100% of both. These two psalms that I gave you to meditate on this week, Psalm 121 and Psalm 127, are two parts of a section of the Psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent. As a matter of fact, the psalm begins with Psalm 121, a song of ascent. These psalms, these 15 psalms from Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, were sung by the Israelites as they would travel from the surrounding regions up to Jerusalem for the three major feast days that they celebrated. So, get the picture. You live, let's say you live in Nazareth, a distance from Jerusalem, and you're going to travel on one of the three major feast days, Tabernacles, Passover, uh, you're going to travel up to Jerusalem. And they always said up to Jerusalem because spiritually and geographically, it was really the highest point in the nation of Israel. So they would, that's why they're called ascents, the Psalms of Ascending. They would travel up to Jerusalem. So you gather with your family, your friends, your neighbors, and you're on your way across, on your journey, with this group of people headed to Jerusalem. And as you would travel, you would sing these psalms. These are the songs the nation of Israel would sing as they headed up to Jerusalem. There are 15 of them, by tradition, there are 15 of them because there were 15 steps leading up to the temple. And as the Levites on major feast days would step on a step, the first step they'd sing Psalm 120, next step Psalm 121, next step Psalm... So there are 15 for the 15 steps as they led up to the temple. If you want to read, it's really hard to take one of these Psalms of Ascent out without preaching all 15 of them because they, they do have a progression. They're a journey as you get ready to head into the presence of the Lord for these major 
feast days. But I'm preaching this series on the Psalms, and I'm just giving you a taste of the various types of Psalms that there are so that you can read the Psalms with a little more experience the truth of God's Word and capture what God is doing in in your heart, in your life. There's a great book by Eugene Peterson uh, called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. One of my favorite titles of a book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And it's all about these Psalms of Ascent. It's a great book. I would highly recommend that you, if you're interested in this, that you get this book and read it. It's a great devotional book as well as a real insight to these 15 psalms. But Eugene Peterson, who's the author of the message, his principle is this, that we in 21st century America have the mindset and assumption that if something can be done at all, now listen to this carefully, if something that can be done at all, it can be done quickly and efficiently. Are you with me? We think if something, we live in a microwave generation where we believe everything that can be done should be able to be done quickly and efficiently. Everything today is quick and abridged. Peterson says this, It is not difficult in such a world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It, was, it is terrifically difficult to sustain the interest. The problem is, he, and please listen to me carefully, because this really speaks to me of the God of this age and the God of this country and what we have turned our eyes toward. The problem is the Christian life does not work like that. Now, please listen to me carefully. The Christian life is not a quick, abridged, little bunny foo-foo kind of faith. And I've said this before. You know that song, Little Bunny Foo-Foo, hopping through the forest, picking up the field mice, bopping them on the head? We think that that's what the Christian life is. Oh, I just come, I get bopped on the head, I'm changed, everything's great, I'm going to go into my world. And then we go out into the world and we're not changed like we thought we should be. So we're going to go to the next little bunny foo-foo meeting that we can find and we just move from meeting to meeting, wonder why our lives aren't changed. And Peterson's devotion on the Psalm of Ascent is that it is a long obedience in the same direction. Now, there are periods of time where things dramatically shift and change quickly, but really the process of becoming Christ-like is more moment by moment, day by day, the process of being set free. You can be set free, but to sustain freedom takes grace, the constant filling of the Holy Spirit, and working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Here's an important principle. We were all born into sin. Paul says that in Romans 5 and 6, that because you were born into Adam, before you ever did anything, you're a sinner. Now, please listen to me careful. We think that sin is merely us having done something wrong, which is true. Sin is that. But the truth of God's word is that because we were born into Adam, the very nature that we were born into is corrupt. When Adam and Eve sinned, everything fell. Nature fell. Man fell. Everything around us is corrupted by sin. 
Meaning that before we ever did anything that could be counted as sin, we were already genetically predisposed to sin and were in fact sinners. This is the idea of the total depravity of man. You are totally depraved. Hey, here's good news. I'm totally depraved. Well, what does that mean? It means you're totally. Every cell in your body has fallen because of we were born into the first Adam. Listen to me carefully. To me, the argument that God made me this way simply doesn't hold water. Why? Because you were born into sin. Now, I know that there's a look around this day and age to say, well, that means this for this certain group of... No, listen, every single one of you were born into sin. Every single one of us. Now, my sin may be different than your sin, but it's still... I mean, my genetic predisposition towards sin is sin. I could argue this fact. My grandfather was really an angry guy. He was accused of trying to shoot a neighbor... Um, he was mad. He went to pool hall, beat up somebody. My great-granddad bit somebody's ear off. Um, you know, my dad was angry. My, my, my brother's an angry, but he's really angry. My brother's angry. I come from a long line of angry men. I am, I'm born this way. I'm born this way. So I'm just going to walk in my anger. To me, When Christ set me free, he set me free not to sin. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that freedom, Paul directly says it. The freedom Paul's talking about there is, I was a slave to sin, but I am no longer. I am am free not to sin. Now, I am also free to go back to the sin. I have the choice. Which way am I going to walk? And generally, with our sin, we try to justify it in one of two ways. Either God made me this way, so God wants me to be happy, so I'm just going to walk this way. Or we justify it as Satan did in his argument with Eve. Did God really say? Did God really say that being angry is a sin? Is that what he really meant? I mean, Jesus got angry in the temple, right? Therefore, it must be okay. We'll use anything to justify our direction. These Psalms of Ascent to me say this, and and I'm projecting in a New Testament way, but he's saying, my goal as a follower of Jesus Christ is to walk out my freedom by picking up my cross daily and following him. That means every single person in this room, because we're predisposed in a certain way to sin, whatever it might be, that to not sin is a cross-bearing day for us. To walk out in freedom is to, is to deny myself and to follow, after, to follow after him. People, this is hard. I mean, if I'm going to, this is what it to me means, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out with fear and trembling. Acknowledge the truth of God. Walk out the truth of God. And we, were, we are all on this journey, individually, but also together. We are ascending, as it were, into the presence and glory of the Lord. And this is not a quick fix. Nietzsche, who the title of Peterson's book is based on, says this. 
the essential thing, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be long obedience in the same direction. There thereby results and has always resulted in the long run something which has made life worth living. We are disciples. We are pilgrims. We are people on a journey who are apprenticed to our master Jesus and ever learning, ever changing, and hopefully walking in ever increasing freedom. If we ever launch out on our own, Lord help us. If we ever decide to go on our own way and say, this is the way I want to go, without the Spirit's presence and God's truth in our lives, we're sunk. These psalms, these 15 psalms are to be sung on the journey. They say, look, we haven't arrived, but we're moving in this direction. Our journey is not complete. William Faulkner says about these psalms, they are not monuments, but footprints. A monument only says, at least I got this far, while a footprint says, this is where I was when I moved again. Monuments, as we've talked about in the past, are good to places of reminders, like Ebenezer. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago here. I raised my Ebenezer, a thought. Here's where God gave me victory. But we don't camp at our monuments. These psalms are more like footprints that say, I was here, but I'm moving forward in the Lord. I haven't arrived, but I'm headed in the right direction. Stand up with me and let's read Psalm 121 together. And then we're going to look at its truths. Psalm 121, read with me. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Lord, we pray this morning as we look at this word, this song for the road, this song for our journey of life, that God, you would direct a spirit of God, you would speak to us here at Fullness in this moment today. In Jesus' name. Amen. First point is this. God is the source of our help. On this journey, on this journey, we need help. Now, here's, here's a presupposition within this statement. For me to need help means I can't do it on my own. Are you are you with me? In other words, if I didn't need help, that means I could could go my own way. I could do it in my own strength or my own might. The presupposition of the psalmist is this. You cannot do this on your own. Now, this goes against our, again, our 21st century American mentality. I can do anything. I'm an American, dadgummit. I mean, I'm a land of the free, home of the brave. I mean, I can do whatever I want, whenever I can be whoever I want to be. And the psalmist is basically saying, look, I need help. 
I cannot do this on my own. So if you're here today and you don't need help, this psalm is not for you. You can just kind of go to sleep. (laughs) He is the source of our help. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. As they traveled to Jerusalem, the psalmist thinks about his journey through the hills and asks, where does my help come from? Now, I used to think, and I've thought this too many times until I really have studied this psalm a little more in depth, that it's kind of like I'm traveling along and I lift my eyes up to the hills because I want to elevate my eyes to see the Lord who's high and lifted up. But that's not the implication of this song. I don't know if anybody else kind of sees that. Oh, I need to lift up my eyes to the hills where my help comes from. I need to lift up my eyes to the Lord. But really what the psalmist is doing is as he's traveling, he says, I kind of lift up my eyes. I see the hills. And then he asks himself the question, where where does my help come from? Uh, It's more of a rather than the, the hills provide the impetus for him to even ask the question. Where's my help come from? Now, it could mean a couple of things. Number one, the hill country was considered the treacherous land to travel because that's where robbers were. That's why they traveled in groups. They didn't want to be like the story of the Good Samaritan. Remember, he got robbed and beaten because he was by himself. The guy was by himself. They traveled in groups because it was safer. So they're kind of thinking, I'm headed into the hills. Where's my help going to come from? Who's going to protect me? What's going to be the source of my help? The second thing is, if you'll remember, the Israelites, they had a basic problem. Their basic problem was this. Once they went into the land that God had promised them, they came out of the land of Egypt and wandered through the desert, didn't quite learn their lesson very well. They went into the land of Canaan. There were pagan gods that were being worshipped in that land. And so they said, you know, we, we, we love God and we'll worship him, but hey, why not cover all our bases here? Why not just use, you know, just in case things, this God of Baal and others is, has something to do with the land here, let's worship him too. So they built those altars, where do you think? In the hills. They would build those altars to Baal, the pagan worship gods in the hills. And so many people think that when they're looking up at the hills, they're thinking of their heritage and their life and saying, not only do I need protection, but where's my protection going to come from? Is it going to come from these pagan gods? Or is it going to come from where? He answers his own question. He says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And I think this is an important question for us to answer today. Because we all need help. Again, I I believe it, that we all need help. Where does our help come from? We are just as syncretic in our worship as the nation of Israel. By the way, that I know you know that term means, but it's it's kind of blending. We blend the truth of God's word with some other truth that we think will provide us help. And what do we worship in our country? Money, power, fame, jobs. I mean, nationalism. These are worship things that we've blended into the American church. 
so that we also at times say, I'm worshiping God, but where does my help come from? My help is going to come from my husband or my wife. My help is going to come from my money. My help is going to come from the government, although that's a little sketchy these days. My help is going to come from here or there or somewhere else. Listen, the only answer to the source of our help, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Here's the thing about our help, the maker of heaven and earth. God didn't stay distant from us so that we have to kind of say, I lift my eyes up to that. Where's my help going to come from? I got I to gotta get to my God. I got to get to him so that he can now help me. But in the, in the dispensation of grace, in the, in the way God works in grace in our lives, God came to us and said, not only am I the creator, but I'm going to be your savior. I'm going to come be with you. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He tabernacled with us. He lived with us. This is great news. The source of our help is not out there somewhere. The source of our help came to live with us and make his home within us. He didn't just say, come here. Instead, he came and is in us. The source of our help. The second point is this, the sustainment of our help. Verses 3 and 4. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will neither will not slumber. He, indeed, he who watches over Israel neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is watching over us at every moment, and he'll give us stability no matter what the situation. The psalmist doesn't say, by the way, and this is really key to the psalm because uh, I'm coming up on verses 7 and 8, which can be misread, but God, the, the psalmist is not saying nothing bad will ever happen to you. What he's saying is that I will sustain you. I will sustain you. And he can sustain us because he never sleeps or slumbers. Now to us, this may seem like, well, yeah, that's obvious. God never sleeps nor slumbers. But in Old Testament times, remember those pagan gods I told you about? They thought those pagan gods slept. They, they, they projected human characteristics on these pagan gods so that sometimes their gods were away or sleeping. I'll just give you one biblical example. You remember the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel when he's confronting the prophets of Baal? Uh, go read about this in uh, Kings. You, you'll see that um, Elijah has this confrontation with a bunch of the prophets of Baal, and they had both build an altar and say, okay, we're going to try and call down fire. Whoever can call down fire on the altar, their God must be really real. So the prophets of Baal go first, and they're yelling and screaming and crying out, and nothing's happening. And Elijah, who's very bold at this point, uh, it says to them, hey, maybe you, should, maybe you should yell a little louder. Maybe your God is asleep. Literally what he says is, hey, maybe your God is out going to the bathroom. Maybe he's just, you know, maybe you should yell louder so that he comes back. I mean, they, they establish these characteristics with 
them. And the psalmist is saying, look, our God never sleeps nor slumbers. He is able to sustain you because he's always awake. He's always on the job. He's able to keep you and sustain you. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Those whom God saves, he also sustains. And he can do this because he is a full-time God. This should really stir up faith within us to know that our God is a full-time job. He's God. He's always on the job. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's never absent. Third, he's the strength of my help. I mean, he, he both is the source and he sustains me, but he can do this because he is the power behind it. He is the strength of my help. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will never harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord is our strength and surrounds us with his protection. You may not know this, but you are vulnerable on all sides. Now, here's, here's our thought. Yeah, I'm really only vulnerable to the things I can't see. Do you know, the truth is you're vulnerable to the things you can't see because you don't see them right. Again, if we're born into sin and sin permeates all of who we are, then what we see, we see through the lens of a corrupted life. Only by the Spirit's truth, only by the Spirit's grace, only by His empowering can we even see the things we see and get a real perspective on those things. He is the strength of our life. He cast His shadow, which is a figure of speech representing His presence, over us. And He protects us in the day and in the night. So at all times, God is our strength and our song. Psalm 127, which I also had you read. Do you remember that psalm? Unless the Lord builds a house, you labor in vain who build it. God is your strength. Unless the Lord's building your house, you're laboring in vain. I love verse 2 of Psalm 127. I really debated all week. I love both these psalms about which one I was going to preach. Psalm 127, I'm going to preach them both. Psalm 127 verse 2 says this. um, In vain... You rise early and stay up late. In vain you rise early and stay up late. So I'm saying that the Bible says you should go to bed early and sleep late. Right? No. He's just saying in vain. Your your efforts, you're making yourself. You think if you don't do it yourself that it's not going to get done. So you stay up late. You get up early. The next line is one of my favorites. And it says it this way in the English Standard Version and in the uh, King James Version. So let me back up. In vain, you rise early and stay up late, eating the bread of anxious toll. In other words, you make this bread and it's just so anxious. You're so anxious about it that this is what you're eating. You're eating anxiety. It's a recognition that I think I'm, I got to do this myself. I am my own strength. I am, I got to stay close to God because if I don't stay close to God, then in some way he's going to abandon me. Now, I'm not saying don't work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but 
Look at Romans and what it says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Here's the truth. Why are you more than a conqueror? Because he conquered. See, you're more than a conqueror because he's the one who did the conquering. It's by his strength, his might, that you are sustained. I, I, I'm not close to God because I'm hanging on to the hand of God. I'm close to God because God's hand is hanging on to me. And that keeps me in his presence. He is my strength. Nothing's going to separate me from the love of God. Well, what about my junk? No, not even your own junk can separate you from the love of God. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, strength, uh, life, neither angels, demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, does this mean I should keep on sinning? Heaven forbid, Paul goes on and says. He basically says, heck no. Um, you should not keep on sinning. Grace is going to abound more than your sin, but it doesn't mean you keep on sinning. Instead, this love should compel us to live holy, righteous, great lives. Even though we can't do it, it should still compel us to move forward in God's strength, by his truth, and by his might. Final point, the steadfastness of my help. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Now, I, I believe this can be a really difficult verse if you read it at this surface level. What do you mean the Lord will keep me from all harm? Does this mean nothing bad is ever going to happen to me? I think a better translation is in the New American Standard version of the Bible which says it like this. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. In other words, the Bible doesn't teach that God, nothing, once we come to God, nothing bad will ever happen to us. Uh, I, I know that there are certain segments in Christianity who proclaim this, that say, hey, come to Jesus and you're going to be wealthy, healthy, wise. Your children will always be obedient You'll never lose your job. You'll never get sick. Nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. People, that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that no matter what you go through, your soul will be protected. God will protect you. Look what it says in Isaiah. It says this, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God. Where in that passage to say, God, you're not going to go through the fire. You're not going to go through the water. You're not going to go through the floods. No, he's saying when you do, in this world you will have troubles. But take heart. I've overcome the world. God will steadfastly preserve us. Peterson has a great observation about this book, Eugene Peterson. He says this, 
all the water in all the oceans cannot sink a ship unless it gets inside. Nor can all the trouble in the world harm us unless it gets inside of us. We're going to have troubles. We're going to have problems. We're going to have difficulties. But God will keep you from all harm. And he's going to protect your soul. His love is constant. His, love, his presence is unfailing. He guards us into eternity. This is great, great, great news. Paul prays this for the church in Thessalonica. He says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that inside, outside, all sides, you'll be blameless. Wow, that's a high calling, is it not? How is that going to happen? Well, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. If we continue to walk in his presence, on the, like these Psalms of Ascent, step by step by step on this journey of faith, stay in his presence, then he will keep us. He will sustain us. You know, sometimes we look at our lives and... Sally looks at her life, and Jennifer looks at her life, and Sally looks at Jennifer and says, wow, Jennifer has a really easy life. She's really pretty. She married a good-looking man who has money. Her life is easy. Why is my life so hard? Why do I struggle with my weight? Why is my husband not paying attention to me? Why, is, why, why am I having health issues? Why are, why are things so hard for me and things so easy for her? And we compare ourselves to others within life. And our conclusion, our obvious conclusion is this. God must not love me as much as he loves Jennifer. He must not. I mean, because look how hard my life is, and her life is so easy. And we come to an obvious but wrong conclusion that God doesn't love us. Because, first of all, you don't know what's really going on in Jennifer's life. You don't know her struggles. You don't know what's going on with her husband. You don't know what's going on, what her personal things are like because you're just seeing her from a surface standpoint that's number one and number two god is the one who sustains you the promise of the psalmist is this he loves you the promise of that passage in romans is that nothing can separate you from the love of god what about all the junk i'm going through what about my weight problems what does that got to do with the love of god See, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. But God's faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. What is the way out? The way out is his presence. The way out is his truth. The way out is not God made me like this. The way out is God didn't really say that. The way out is following his path, journeying with him. He is our keeper and protector, 
Six times in this psalm, it says God is the one who keeps and protects us. It's important to recognize that as we journey through this life, you're going to have times of need, times of help, even times of hurt and desperation, but God is your helper. Look to him. Again, if you, need, if you, if you didn't need help, you wouldn't need a helper. So when the storms hit, if they haven't hit already, they will. They will. You will have tough times. Something will go wrong in your life. Know that every step you take, every breath you breathe, he's watching you. He's watching you. Not only watching you, he's with you. You didn't think I'd quote that song, did you, this morning? (laughs) No matter your doubts, what you endure, what accidents you experience, the Lord will guard you from our all evil. This morning, when you go out of here and lift up your eyes to see the world around and ask yourself the question, where's my help going to come from? There's only one answer. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning. We bless you. We praise you. We glory in you. You are our help. You're the one who sustains. You're the one who guides. You're the one who directs. Lord, we thank you. If you're here this morning, and I just want to give this opportunity, if you're here this morning and you're saying, Pastor, I really am going through some tough times, would you just pray for me? I recognize this truth, but at the same time, I just need it to permeate my heart and my life afresh and anew this morning. Just pray for me. I won't single you out, but just as an act of faith, just raise your hand. I'm just going to pray for you. If you're here and say, I'm going through a tough time, and I need this truth to really just kind of nail itself in my heart. Lord, you see those who have lifted their hands and would confess to you that this morning they need a fresh envisioning that the Lord God, their helper, is with them. I pray that spirit of truth, you would permeate our hearts and our lives as we we struggle with the struggles of our lives. God, we recognize, and in faith we say, thank you. Again, whether it's a battle or a blessing, we say, God, I give thanks to you because your love endures forever and your love endures in me. So in faith today, Lord, I pray that we would all receive the love and grace of God. Lord, we thank you. We bless you, maker of heaven and earth, that you saw fit to come and make your home within us. Find us willing to receive and to walk. Thank you for the journey that you have us on. In Jesus' name.